Hello everyone and welcome to the Chai with Champs podcast season 1. I'm Ritika Agrawal, your host, where I sit down and have a virtual cup of tea with some of the most inspiring and successful individuals from around the world. Join me as I delve into their stories, explore their triumphs and challenges, and discover the ingredients that help brew them success. Whether you're an entrepreneur, an artist, an athlete, or simply someone looking to grow and improve, you'll find valuable insights and wisdom in every episode. So grab your cup of chai, sit back, and join me on this exciting journey. Hi, Trisha. Welcome to the Chai with Champs podcast. It is such an honor to host you. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. Genuinely appreciate it. and so excited to just be a part of your podcast journey. Thank you so much. I know you've been like one of the biggest supporters ever since we met. I think that was like early 20 early 2020 or 2021 and like one piece of advice that you not only gave me but everybody that tuned in um at the women of 2021 summit was you know if you are not getting the opportunity you're looking for just create it yourself and i think everything that i've done since then has been a product of that advice and this podcast as well so thank you i appreciate that and that advice still stands today i'm still doing the same thing for myself (laughs) whatever opportunities are not given to me i'm just literally replicating them for myself (laughs) and yes you 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 literally have been inspiring so many people because of that so thank you you are the founder and ceo of the best publication in the country and you're reaching millions across the globe but what did 18 year old trisha envision when she was a pole science and government major back in college Yeah, I mean, my vision was, I feel so much smaller than thankfully what I have been able to work on today. But yeah, I mean, my vision was simple. I wanted to go to law school. I did everything in my power to get there, did the LSAT five times, which, you know, you already know this. And, um, you know, that's the fun little fact about me. And, you know, at the time when I was pursuing it over and over and over, it definitely was not a fun fact at all. It was grueling and it felt impossible and it just felt like, I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to amount to anything because I never made it to law school. And so I was living inside of this small bubble and I had boxed myself in. And so, yeah, the 18 year old self was um, pretty hard um, (laughs) on herself, (laughs) on myself. And I felt that if I didn't go to law school, I just wouldn't make my parents proud and I just wouldn't you know, have a career because that's the only career that I ever had known was to go to law school, become an attorney, maybe work for a media company because I was so interested in news um, and media. So I really wanted to be like in-house legal team for a media company. So it kind of oddly worked out that I ended up in media just minus, you know, the legal part of it. (laughs) But that's really what my vision was at 18. During that time, you were also interning with Brown Gold Magazine, right? So I found Brown Girl a few years later on Facebook. Um, I was like 21-ish, I think. And um, and yeah, you know, I found it while scrolling on Facebook. And yes, I was pursuing a minor in journalism while in college. So that definitely helped me out um, because clearly law school didn't work out. So having a minor in journalism got me to that world of media. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, and so... 
minoring um, in journalism at Stony Brook is actually a pretty big deal because they go pretty hard. Um, they have a lot of different internships. They have like this course level that you have to keep passing in order to get to the next class. Um, so in addition to your classes, you do like, you know, um, a standardized um, test almost that allows you to pursue the next class. So I think them setting up all of these um, roadblocks per se allowed me to like really, really work on honing my journalism you know, skills and just learning how to be a better writer and also a better reader um, and a better interviewer. Um, and so while pursuing my minor in journalism, one of the class assignments was to write for an external blog. And, and so, you know, this is early 2010, 2011-ish. Um, and, you know, writing for a blog just, it wasn't something that I was comfortable doing. And I was really, really nervous and I didn't know who I was going to write for. I didn't know what I was going to write for. And so thankfully, um, you know, Brown Girls has popped up on my Facebook feed back in the day when we were all obsessed with our Facebook feeds. Yeah. Thank God for that. And I reached <laughs> out to the original um, founder at Brown Girl and I was like, hey, I noticed that most of your contributors are in Texas. I noticed that you're in Texas, but I'm in New York. And if you ever need a Brown Girl on the East Coast to write any news content for you let me know i mean it was just like such a you know it was it feels so um serendipitous because that email obviously changed my life forever mm -hmm. um i see that now but back then i was just reaching out because i was honestly desperate to you know hone my journalism resume and the rest is history i just got super involved and uh eventually <laughs> went full time with it that's incredible. So how did you what's tell us about the journey from finding a assignment to now like heading and leading Brown Girl magazine? Like tell us about that journey. Yeah, I mean that journey has been really long. Um it's been slow, it's been an uphill battle. Um nothing about it has been glamorous at all. Um beside the fact that I have just been, you know, one track mind, <laughs> just focused on building Brown Girl magazine in any way, shape or form that I can. So, yeah, I mean, the first five, six years, I was very much still trying to, you know, figure out law school. I got my master's in public policy, um, obviously graduated college. Um, you know, then immediately after um, after doing my master's in public policy, I ended up writing for a PR company and then after a PR company worked for a couple of other smaller newspapers and then eventually landed you know a bigger gig through ZTV which many of you may know is um, you know a pretty popular um, South Asian TV channel that all of our parents watch um, <laughs> and we grew up watching as well and so that was definitely like you know a big enough gig where my parents and my family were like oh my god like journalism has amounted to something because at this point they were still not super pleased with me because I obviously never ended up in law school. So it was a lot of like tug back and forth of like, you should still try it. Maybe if you try it now, it'll be better, you know? So, but working at Z um, for four years actually allowed me to truly understand the value of Brown Girl Magazine. So I really had only seen Brown Girl Magazine as a passion project and as a side hustle up until working at Z. And so while I was at ZTV, I was pursuing um, the growth of a brand new website that they had recently bought called India.com. And India.com was meant to be, um, you know, this diasporic driven website, 
that definitely centered and catered Indian news from India, but they wanted some diasporic content to it. And that's where they really saw Brown Girl as an inspiration. And they were like, can you create content similar to the content you're creating at Brown Girl Magazine? Because obviously it's so diasporic driven. And I was like, obviously we can. Like, I'm doing that for fun. Of course, I could do that for real here. So I had a really cool um, freelance staff of about, you know, 80, 100 freelancers. Almost all of them came from Brown Girl. And I spent almost four years at DTV curating um, content that truly connects and ties us back, um, you know, to the lives that we live here, as opposed to what India.com was doing, which was tying it back to the lives we live back home. And so, yeah. And so around that time, I realized that, you know, Brown Girl could actually do the same thing. And why aren't we trying to pursue the same thing? And so after four years of being at Z, I, you know, mustered up the courage to start really thinking about what the future is for Brown Girl Magazine. And you know, the reason that that really um, ignited was because the original two partners were very ready to shut Brown Girl Magazine down for right reasons. You know, they had done it for a while. They were a few years older. They were very focused on, you know, starting a family life. And all of that was very much understandable. And so because they were ready to shut Brown Girl down and I was just starting, um, it was just, you know, again, perfect timing for me to kind of scoop in and be like, hey, you know, why don't I buy you both out at a fair market rate? Um, and that's exactly what I did. So I took two years to buy them out, um, which is definitely a long time. And, you know, uh, that's what I just didn't have a choice. I had to think of ways to make Brown Girl a revenue driven business as opposed to a passion driven business. So I had to pivot my mindset. And that was definitely a hard bandaid for me to rip, but I had no choice to do it. But I was able to pursue that passion and turn it into um, a business and turn it into something that I do full time. But caveat, I do want to preface here that in the middle of all of this, I did get married. And so you know, I want anyone and everyone to know that yes, pursuing your passions, um, and your dreams should be on top of your bucket list, but having financial security um, is just as important. So I have definitely hustled every day, um, you know, in the past few years of being full time to make sure that Brown Girl can be a sustainable business. And even though I've had that financial security, that doesn't mean that, you know, um, you know, we don't try to make Brown Girl what it is. And no, so finally, um, I think four years into making it full time, I see that Brown Girl is a sustainable business and it can be scalable. And we did raise our first round of seed capital as well. And so Ooh. that, of course, helped our, ignite our growth as well. So it's been, you know, a bunch of different a bunch of different variables have allowed me to be here today. And there's just so many people in my life and things falling in the right place that have allowed me to go full time with the company. But I think overall, what's so important and what I'm always so candid about is taking a side hustle and making it full time um, is very much doable. You just want to make sure that your financial ducks are in a row, because if they're not, you won't be able to pursue it wholeheartedly, um, especially because um, I bought out the original two partners, which meant that I had to pay them back for two years. And so that burden in itself was um crazy and i don't know how i mustered up the courage to take on that type of like burden especially because it was a legal one so if i didn't pay them back i would definitely be in legal trouble so that hopefully gives you you know a gist of what i went through um so yeah
That's an incredible story because um, I feel like you're the perfect example of learning by doing. And I think at every step, you've kind of nailed that without you. I feel like you must have been scared, but there seems to be this sort of courage, this hope. And I think it also matters if you are surrounded by the right people. So I think if you have like your cheerleaders in place, you can do whatever you want. And like nothing is impossible in this world. Um, But, you know, with all of your background, past background, you didn't have like any prior background in business. So how did you kind of rise to the occasion and like make Brown Girl Magazine what it is today? Yeah, I mean, I think the business side of it is something that I'm going to continue to learn forever and ever. I don't see myself as, you know, a very good CEO or a very good COO, um, or I'm barely a CFO. So (laughs) I'm, you know, a combination of some of those roles. Um, I'm good at some of them, very bad at the others. And I'm finally in a place where I can truly bring on other people to help. But, um, you know, I think for starters, um, because my dad is a CPA and because my husband has his own business, I think those two were my first, you know, people that I went to for everything. And they are still my first two people that I've gone to for everything. Um, And then outside of that, I think what I've been able to do is um, follow my gut and take really, really good chances. And that's really what anyone can do, right, is follow your gut to the best of your ability and take those chances. So something simple as, you know, when we were still pursuing Brown Girl Magazine as a side hustle, this this amazing woman had reached out to us. She ran a nonprofit. And every year she had a calendar that she would sell for her nonprofit. And this one particular year, she reached out to us to say, hey, I'll give you guys 500 bucks. Can you actually, you know, promote this calendar on your Facebook and in your newsletter and on your website? And that was the first $500 that really like, you know, was the first money in from a sponsor. And I didn't know that it was called a sponsor at that time. But that's really what drove me to understanding, okay, Brown Girl can actually have different revenue drivers. And so I took the chance on, hey, yeah, give us that 500 bucks. Let's see what we can, let's see what ROI we can get you in return. I have no idea what ROI was either, (laughs) right? I was just winging it. I learned ROI much later, but um, yeah. So I think that in itself is just one small example of I saw something and then I took it a step further. So that's really how brand campaigns started. And then after that, I started pitching, you know, to other smaller businesses that were reaching out to us anyways, like, hey, for a hundred bucks, we'll promote you on Facebook. For 200 bucks, we'll promote you on the website. So we created like a mini one pager, you know, that was the starting, that was like the first um, ever campaigns we had ever done. So, and then after that, because I had already been so interested in hosting events and I had been so interested in attending events, all throughout college and all throughout high school, I had co-hosted and hosted so many events for the South Asian Student Club. Um, And so I already had that idea of what it meant to have a budget, how to spend a budget. So that experience definitely helped me. So Mm -hmm. to anyone in high school and in college, definitely spend time um, working on student clubs because that experience does land really well in the real world. So because I was so event driven anyways, that helped me host our first few events. Mm-hmm. And I realized on, in the, on the event side of things, again, you can generate revenue in two ways, right? You can generate revenue by bringing on sponsors, and then you can also generate revenue by bringing on ticket holders. Yeah. So that 
opened up a new avenue of um, revenue. And then the third avenue of revenue that you know we recently, not recently, we realized around that time was selling our own merch and selling our own products. Yeah. Because the big goal that I've always had at Brown Girl is how do you create an ecosystem that essentially helps you join our universe? I want Brown Girl readers to enter our world through social media or through our website. I want you to engage with our sponsors, buy from our sponsors. Then I want you to come to our events and buy our tickets and have that experience and come again for that next experience. And then finally, I want you to be able to buy our merch or buy our book that we published. So it's really creating this flywheel of content, community, and commerce. And how do we keep our brown girl readers engaged and also a part of this universe. And so that's been the big goal is how do we create a company that goes off of the internet? So by trying little small, you know, tr you know, hacks here and there and hosting little events here and there, um, I think I finally figured out that we are creating an ecosystem that interconnects with each other. I'm honestly, I just want to take notes and I hope our audience is taking notes at this point because that was <laughs> such in incredible information and honestly, like such a perfect roadmap for anybody that's starting out, that's trying to figure out their side hustle and whatever that may be. Um, so you have been shattering stereotypes since the last decade now in every step that you've been taking. And as a woman of color as well, where you're not only shattering stereotypes for South Asians, but for the community in general, um, what is your hope from younger South South Asians and what is your message to them through this ecosystem and through this platform? Um, I think, I mean, there's so many hopes. <laughs> it's going to be <laughs> tough to list them all out. I think, um, I think the first one is really, it comes back to why, why I've, why I've pursued Brown Girl this hard. It's because I have felt left out and I have been bullied and I have been made fun of and I've been ostracized and I just haven't felt seen. And so I hope that, you know, all folks who identify as South Asian um, people living in the diaspora can feel safe and can feel seen within this, you know, small little brown girl world that we are building. And so I think that's my biggest hope is just being able to feel seen and just being known, just having that thought of this space I can call my home and I can reach out to Brown Girl and I can come to Brown Girl events and I can write for Brown Girl and it's not going to be gate kept from me and it's not going, there's not going to be a thousand barricades that I have to jump to be a part of this world. So I think my next big hope is to make it even easier and make it even more accessible to um, be a part of the work that we're doing. I know so many folks who reach out and we're just not able to work with them because it's not the right time or we're not able to publish their content in that given moment or not able to co-host an event with them. But I want it to be more accessible and I want it to be even easier because I do see Brown Girl Magazine as a home for every South Asian across the diaspora. So I think that's probably my second big hope now that I'm really, you know, building out and trying to scale the business. Oh, that's so sweet. And I will say that Brown Girl Magazine is not only home, but I think it somehow is like a connector to the rest of the world. At least for me, as somebody who came from India and was trying to find my place here, I think Brown Girl Magazine is that thing that gave me that one step outside of college, outside of Iowa, outside of Chicago. And I feel like that was possible only because of you. So thank you. And I know a million other people would be saying this. So thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, that goes a long way. 
um, I need to be motivated every day. And sometimes it's hard to keep yourself motivated because I'm a solo founder. Every single person on the team is still a freelancer. I'm just starting to hire some part-time folks to join the team. Um, so that in itself is like, you know, the next stage of where we're headed is finally hiring full-fledged teams. But everyone is a freelancer, right? And everyone has their own job and everyone has their own life. And so um, sometimes to stay motivated, it takes a lot because I'm stuck in my own head for most of the day. Yeah. Um, and I keep my head down and I sometimes I definitely forget. And when I do come up for air, I'm like, okay, maybe we've done something, but is it enough? Um, is it good enough is always the question. So, yeah. Yeah. Taking a step back, of course, um, being a solo founder is no nine to five job. It is a full-time 24 by seven job and it's not a desk job. You're at events, you are hosting, you're networking. So how do you prioritize your health and your work? Yeah, it's really tough for sure. I mean, I think the last couple of weekends, I've been so just done and depleted and tired and just like even answering just simple text messages has been hard. Honestly, that's just like the truth of the matter. You know, this past Saturday and Sunday, I like truly, truly just, I was like, I, I don't even have the energy to answer or reply or go on Instagram or check my email or check anything or check our Slack messages. And there are a hundred problems that I need to be solving right now. Our emails just got hacked last week, believe it or not. Oh I received 17,000 spam emails. Just going through that has been a nightmare. Um, yeah, I mean, and we're hosting a big event this Thursday. We're doing an art exhibition. So, of course, there's so many, um, you know, balls that I'm juggling at the same time. But I think that I have finally, finally come to a place because I was never like this before. But I finally come to this place before where it's okay for me to just shut off for 24 hours. And it's okay for me to shut off for 48 hours. And I'm finally allowing myself to do that. Of course, I'll still squeeze in, you know, the priority work that needs to be squeezed in over the weekend. But I think like finally learning to be like, you know what? It's okay. Like, I'll just have to work harder on Monday, but I need to just rest right now. So I think finding some real time to rest has been really important, especially in the last few weeks for me. Um, and I think that, I don't know, I'm 33. I think the burnout is like way real than just even a couple of years ago, where a couple of years ago, like even like shutting off for a few hours on a Saturday or Sunday, it just felt so like alien to me. I was like, I can't do that. But maybe I am a bit more comfortable with the business. And I do feel perhaps a bit more content. And I think that's what we can all do for ourselves, right? Is yeah. yes, we all want the next big thing. But I think what I'm trying to focus on now in this juncture of my life is feeling okay with feeling content. And that That's part is really well hard to like work towards. It's how do you feel okay with feeling content? So I'm trying to work towards that, even though I'm hungry and I'm striving for bigger goals. In the moment, I want to just be able to be like, it's okay to be where I'm at. And I don't need to, you know, work at 3 p.m. on a Saturday. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That is that is very well said for sure. Um, do you have any tips for, you know, individuals that are trying to make their passions a living in terms of health and hustling? Like, how do you kind of piece that together? Yeah, I think for me, like, when I am in work mode, I just try my best to stay in work mode. I don't get um, into doom scrolling. You know, I think like the simplest thing that I try to do is get all my Instagram, Insta story, social media stuff, done and like don't touch it like don't yes you want to comment back and engage with your community but just 
don't do it. You know, I think that has really helped me. Um, I think the other thing that has really helped me is sometimes it's honestly working during off hours. During off hours is like, I think a, you know, maybe like a small little slice of just calm and peace that I find myself in where if I am working at 9 p.m., I know many people aren't. And that kind of just allows me to think and process yeah. and not be in reactionary mode or reactor uh, or not be reactive, but try to be proactive. Mm-hmm. And it's really tough to be proactive during the day. So I think those two things have helped me take my side hustle and take it full time. And of course, a lot of that has just been trial and error. But I think those two small little changes that I've made help me. And of course, I still fall through the cracks and I'll still accidentally pick up my phone and go straight to Instagram. And I'll be like, Oh my God, why am I back on Instagram? I meant to come to my phone for something else. And it's so weird that our fingers just automatically open up that app. So yeah, I try to rein myself in. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) that's so true I feel like we've done we've tried to do that so many times and I was gonna ask actually that if you don't do it like how do you do it so I'm glad that you are also victim to that Instagram scrolling once in a while um, oh all the time yeah it's <laughs> the worst feeling ever but then you also want to see what your friends are up to and you also yeah. do want to engage and so when I do when I am scrolling I'm really big on intentionally scrolling yeah. I will make sure that everything I'm scrolling I'm commenting on and I'm liking and I'm engaging and I'm like actively intentionally dming um so i try my best not to just like go into this like vitriol but yeah it's tough i can imagine i totally can so looking at the present and the future you've curated a diverse portfolio um with slashy summit untold and lucky power what's next for brown girl magazine what are you kind of envisioning in like say the next five years you know i have a really hard time thinking about you know, long-term growth, five, 10 years just is like such long-term growth. Um, You know, I think um, I have a few big ideas for where I see it, you know, maybe five years from today, but I'm just not ready yet. Um, I'm not ready to fully um, share it because I don't, I don't have it um, figured out. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just the honest truth. You know, I see Brown Girl as a blueprint that can be activated in Canada and in the UK and in Australia and in India. And we already are in those places, but we are not doing the work that we're doing on the ground here. So I think, you know, I think, you know, the safest answer is that I do see Brown Girl fully replicated in those countries. So I think that's the short answer. But I think, um, you know, I think the deeper answer is that I'm very much, you know, a believer in the now. And I know that's like, that's like hard sometimes because angel investors and venture capitalists, they always want to know what the future is. Um, But yeah, I'm very much a believer in knowing where I'm at today and growing six months to today six months from today or growing a year from today. And that's really where I'm focused on right now. And so, yeah, I think the next couple of things that we're working on is a print glossy magazine that I hope will be a game changer for the community. I really want um, a glossy print magazine to be on your bookshelf, on your coffee table, because again, the big goal here is to create a company that goes off of the internet. I want us to get off of our Instagram and instead, you know, scroll through a magazine that we mail to your home. So I hope that that is a dream and a goal that I can truly accomplish and go back to 
um, you know, and truly pay homage to what Brown Girl Magazine is, right? Like we were meant to be a magazine from day one. And mm -hmm. I hope that I can truly bring it to paper soon. And then the next goal that I'm trying my best to work on, it may or may not work, but I do want to have a Brown Girl HQ that can be multi-use. So it can be a co-working space, my office, and then an event space, a dinner space, a photo shoot space. You know, I'm really, really trying my best to see, um, you know, what options we have in Queens or in the city or in Brooklyn to have our first ever Brown Girl HQ that can literally be our home. So I want to take the home off the internet, internet again and bring it to people in person. So I think almost every goal I have ties back to the North Star, which is creating an ecosystem that interconnects us both online and offline. And I'm gonna do everything in my power to make that happen. But yeah, sometimes thinking long-term for me is tough. So I like yeah. to think in six month increments. Even your six month increment is so exciting. Fingers crossed for the Classy Magazine, for all the other locations. I have no doubt that Brown Girl Magazine is just gonna flourish. So good luck and um, fingers crossed for you. What are the three ingredients that fill Frisha's cup of success? Um, so I think that, you know, so much of, what we've seen in the past, you know, 10, 15 years when it comes to startups and startup growth, it's been so much about, um, it's been so much about raising capital, burning the cash and raising more. That's been, you know, the trend almost or the culture when it comes to startups. And I have been very adamant in, you know, kind of working against that culture. I think, one of the best ways for brown girl to be successful is for us to be a healthy um profitable company that has um that has true growth without raising many rounds of capital i think that would be one of the biggest pillars of success for me um, i think a second big pillar of success for me is knowing that we have truly done everything in our power to make brown girl as inclusive safe and diverse as possible which will constantly be you know something that i'm going to aspire to do and we're never going to be able to do it the best or be perfect at it but i hope that we can continue to just get better at it and then i think my third is truly seeing that ecosystem come to life even more than what it is today. Um, I really, really want to see this company be a beautiful bridge between the internet and our real world. I want to be somewhere in the middle of that bridge. Um, and so I think those are probably my three pillars of success. And, and yeah, I hope that answers the question. I, it absolutely does. Thank you so much for being so honest and transparent about your journey. I know that I'm constantly inspired and I know millions of other people are. So everything that 18-year-old Trisha kind of envisioned is leading to that fruition. So thank you so much for being on the show, um, for being honest and for all your support always. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I truly appreciate it. And I think for me, seeing, um, you know, Seeing folks like you is my motivation, right? Knowing that Brown Girl Mag is going to be in really good hands, knowing that, um, you know, someone like you is leading the charge for the next gen. And, you know, I've said that to you before many times, but it's really important for me to um, have that understanding and that relationship with the next gen because I want Brown Girl to prosper with you guys in your hands. And so, I hope, um, you know, a cool Gen Z buys Brown Girl out. That's the goal. <laughs> okay, I'm listening. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs>